Okay, this is chapter 35 of Mortal Engines, and it is called The Cathedral. The Jenny Hanover's shattered gondola moaned like a flute as the west wind blew through it, carrying it swiftly away from London. Tom slumped exhausted at the controls, crumbs of broken glass clinging like grit to his face and hands. He tried to ignore the wild spinning of the pressure gauges as hydrogen leaked from the damaged envelope. He tried not to think about Pusey and Gench burning inside their burning gondola. But every time he closed his eyes, he saw their screaming faces, as if the black zeros of their open mouths were etched forever into his eyeballs. When he raised his head, he saw London far to the east. Something was happening to the cathedral. The torrents of pink and green fire were gushing from the engineerium. Slowly, he started to understand what had happened. It was his fault. People must be dead down there, not just Pusey and Gench, but lots of people. As if he had not shot down the 13th floor elevator, they would still be alive. He wished he had never fired those rockets. It would be better to be dead himself than to sit here watching top tier burn and know that it was all his fault. Then he thought of Hester. He had promised her he would go back. She would be waiting down there among the fires. He couldn't let her down. He took a deep breath and leaned on the controls. The engines choked back into life. The Jenny Hanover turned sluggishly into the wind and started inching back toward the city. Catherine moved like a sleepwalker through the Paternoster Square, drawn toward the transformed cathedral. Around the, her, the fires were spreading, but she barely noticed. Her eyes were fixed on the terrible beauty above her, that white cowl unfolding against the night sky, turning toward the east. She no longer felt afraid. She knew Cleo was watching over her, keeping her safe so that she could atone for the dreadful things Father had done. The guards on the cathedral door were too distracted by the fires to pay much attention to a schoolgirl with a satchel. At first they told her to clear off, but when she insisted that her father was inside and flashed her crumpled gold pass at them, they simply shrugged and let her through. She had never been inside St. Paul's before, but she had seen pictures. They hadn't looked anything like this. The pillared aisles and the high vaulted ceilings were still where they had always been, but the Guild of Engineers had sheathed the walls in white metal and hung argon globes and wire cages from the ceilings. Fat electric cables snaked up the nave, feeding power towards something at the heart of the cathedral. Catherine walked slowly forward, keeping to the shadows under the pillars, out of the way of the scores of engineers who were scurrying about checking power linkages and making notes on clipboards. Ahead of her, the days under the great dome was filled with strange machinery. A mass of girders and hydraulics supported the weight of the huge cobra hood that towered up into the night, and around its base stood a forest of tall metal coils, all humming and crackling in a, slow, in a slowly rising surge of power. Engineers were hurrying between them and going up and down the central tower on metal stairways, and many more were clustered around the nearby console like priests at the altar of a machine god, talking in hushed, excited tones. Among them she saw the Lord Mayor, and beside him, looking grim, was Father. She froze, safe in the shadows. She could see his face quite clearly. He was watching Chrome and frowning, and she knew he would rather be outside helping with the rescue work, and only the Lord Mayor's orders kept him here. She forgot for a moment that he was a murderer. She wanted to rush, rush over and hug him. But she was in Cleo's hands now, the agent of history, and she had work to do. 
She edged closer until she was standing in the shelter of an old font at the bottom of the day's steps. From there, she had a good view of what Chrome and the others were doing. Their council was like a, or was a cat's cradle of wires and flexes and rubberized ducts, and in the middle of it sat a little sphere no bigger than a soccer ball. Catherine could guess what that was. Pandora Shaw had found it in a deep laboratory of lost America and brought it back with her to Oak Island. And father had stolen it in the night he murdered her. The engineers had cleaned and repaired it as best they could, replacing damaged circuits with primitive machines that they had cobbled together from stalkers' brains. Now Dr. Splay sat in front of it, his fingers spidering over an ivory keyboard, typing up green, glowing sequences of numbers on a portable goggle screen. A second screen showed a murky image of the view ahead of London, crosshairs centered on the distant shield wall. The accumulators are charged, somebody said. There, Valentine, said Chrome, resting a bony hand on her father's arm. We're ready to make history. But the fires, Chrome. You can play at firemen later, snapped the Lord Mayor. We must destroy the shield wall now, in case Medusa is damaged by the blaze. Splay's fingers kept clattering on the keyboard, but the other sounds of the cathedral faded away. The engineers were staring in awe as the coil forest, where weird, rippling wraiths of light were forming, drifting upward toward the sky above the open dome with a faint, insectile buzz. Catherine began to suspect that they didn't really understand this technology that her father had dug up for them. They were almost as awed as it, as by it as she. If she had run forward then, primed her bomb, and flung it at the ancient computer, she might have changed everything. But how could she? Father was standing right there beside the thing. And even when she told herself that he was not her father anymore and tried to weigh his life against the thousands about to die in Banton Gampa, she still could not bring herself to harm him. She had failed. She turned her face to the vaulted roof and asked, What do you want me to do? Why have you brought me here? But Cleo didn't answer. Chrome stepped toward the keyboard. Give Medusa its target coordinates, he ordered. Splay's fingers rattled over the keys, typing in the latitude and longitude of Batman Gampa. Target acquired, announced a mechanical voice booming from the fluted speakers above the Splay's station. Range 130 miles and closing. Input clearance code Omega. Dr. Chubb produced a sheaf of thick plastic sheets, the laminated fragments of ancient documents. Faint lists of numerals showed through the plastic like insects trapped in amber. As he flipped through the sheets until he found the one he wanted and held it up for Splay to read. But before Splay could begin typing in the code numbers, there was a confused babble of voices down by the main entrance. Dr. Twix was there with some of her stalkers close behind her. Hello, everybody, she chirped, hurrying up the aisle and beckoning for her creations to follow. Just look at my clever babies have found for you, Lord Mayor. A real live anti-tractionist, just as you asked. Though I'm afraid she's rather ugly. Input clearance code Omega, repeated Medusa. The mechanical voice had not really changed, but to Catherine it sounded slightly impatient. Shut up, Twix, barked Bangs Chrome, staring at his instruments. But the others all turned to look, 
as one of the stalkers lurched up onto the dais and dumped its burden at the Lord Mayor's feet. It was Hester Shaw, her hands tied in front of her, helpless and sullen, and still wondering why the stalkers had not killed her straight away. At the sight of her ruined face, the men on the dais froze, as if her gaze had turned them all to stone. Oh, great Cleo, whispered Catherine, seeing for the first time what Father's sword had done. And then she looked from Hester's face to his, and what she saw there shocked her even more. The expression had drained from his horrible fe- from his features, leaving a gray mask, less human and more horrible than the girl's. This was how he must have looked when he killed Pandora. Shaw and turned around to find Hester watching him. She knew what would happen next, even before his sword came swinging from its sheath. No! she screamed, seeing what he meant to do, but her mouth was dry and her voice was barely a whisper. Suddenly she understood why the goddess had brought her here and knew what she must do to make amends for father's crime. She dropped the useless satchel and ran up the steps. Hester was stumbling backward, lifting her bound hands to ward off father's blow, and Catherine flung herself between them so that suddenly it was she who was in the path and his sword slid easily through her, and she felt the hilt jar hard against her ribs. The engineers gasped. Dr. Twix gave a frightened little squeak. Even Chrome looked alarmed. Input clearance code Omega, snapped Medusa, as if nothing at all had happened. Valentine was saying no, and shaking his head as if he couldn't understand how she came to be here with his sword through her. Kate, no! He stepped back, pulling the blade free. Catherine watched it slither out of her. It looked ridiculous, like a practical joke. There was no pain at all, but bright blood was throbbing out of a hole in her tunic and splashing onto the floor. She felt giddy. Hester Shaw clutched at her, but Catherine shook her off. Father, don't hurt her, she said, and took two faltering steps forward and fell against Dr. Splay's keyboard. Meaningless green letters spattered the little goggle screen as her head hit the keys, and as Father lifted her and laid her gently down, she heard the voice of Medusa boom, Incorrect code entered! New sequence of numbers spilled across the screens. Something exploded with a sharp crack among the loopings of webs of cable. What's happening? whimpered Dr. Chubb. What's it doing? It has rejected our target coordinates guessed Dr. Chandra, but the power is still building. Engineers rushed back to their posts, stumbling over Catherine where she lay on the floor, her head on father's lap. She ignored them, staring at Hester's face. It was like looking at her own reflection in a shattered mirror, and she smiled, pleased that she had met her half-sister at last, and wondering if they were going to be friends. She started to hiccup, and with each hiccup, blood came up her throat and into her mouth. A numb chill was spreading through her body, and she could feel herself beginning to drift away, the sounds of the cathedral growing fainter and fainter. Am I going to die? She thought. I can't. Not yet. I'm not ready. Help me! Valentine bellowed at the engineers, but they were only interested in Medusa. It was the girl who came to his side and lifted Catherine while he ripped a strip from his robe and tried to stanch the bleeding. He looked up into her one gray eye and whispered, Hester, thank you. Hester stared back at him. She had come all this way to kill him through all these years, and now that he was at her mercy, she felt nothing at all. 
His sword lay on the ground where he had dropped it. No one was watching her. Even with her wrists bound, she could have snatched it up and stuck it through his heart. But it didn't seem to matter now. Dazed, she watched his tears fall, plopping onto the astounding lake of blood that was spreading out from his daughter's body. Confused, thoughts chased each other through her head. He loves her. She saved my life. I can't let her die. She reached out and touched him and said, She needs a doctor, Valentine. He looked at the engineers clustering around their machine in a frantic scrum. There would be no help from them. Outside the cathedral doors, curtains of golden fire swung across the Paternoster Square. He looked up and saw something red catch the firelight beyond the high windows of the starboard transept. It's the Jenny Hanover, shouted Hester, scrambling to her feet. Oh, it's Tom, and there's a medical bay aboard. But she knew the Jenny couldn't land amid the flames of the top tier. Valentine, can we get onto the roof somehow? Valentine picked up his sword and cut the cords on her wrists, then flinging it aside, he lifted Catherine and started to carry her between the spitting coils to where the metal stairway zigzagged up into the dome. Stalkers reached out for Hester as she scurried after him, but Valentine ordered them back. To a startled beefeater, he shouted, Captain, that airship is not to be fired upon. Magnus Chrome came running to clutch at his sleeve. The machine's gone mad, he wailed. Quirk alone knows what commands your daughter fed it. We can't fire it, and we can't stop the energy buildup. Do something, Valentine. You discover the damn thing. Make it stop. Valentine shoved him aside and started up the steps through the rising veils of light, the crackling static through the air that smelled like burning tin. I only wanted to help London, the old man sobbed. I only wanted to make London strong.